Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. This Sunday was special because we got to hear some stories from different people in our community. And the question to start off with is, where have you experienced healing, transformation, and or maturity this year? Enjoy. I'm excited for this Sunday. I always love hearing the different narratives of people in our community. Uh, I'm a big believer that the, what's interesting about God and spirituality, and most importantly for me about Jesus, is that it's the incarnation, where Jesus shows us the very fullness of who God is, yet the very best of what it means to be human. It's where these two things meet. And because of that, it's this reality that, that the divine happens in the human experience. But sometimes where I grew up is that the divine or God happened out there. And then like we were like the lowly humans over here. And we were always just trying to like get on the elevator up. Instead of recognizing, well, the entire narrative of God was about God coming down. Was about God being human. Was what about, it was about this experience. That when Jesus speaks of this kingdom of God or this kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about something that happens later. That's part of the hope that we have. There's an eternal hope that we live into, but 99.9% .9 of the narratives that Jesus lives out happens here and now, in this blood and sweat, in this reality, and that should be telling us something. And so part of that is that we need to tell of our encounters and of our experiences. Where Protestantism went wrong is it wanted you to live in secondhand information of the Bible. It wanted you to know all of the biblical facts and know more about the Bible even sometimes than you knew about your own life. And where Catholicism and Orthodoxy went wrong because it wanted you to know all about tradition and wanted you to have secondhand experience through tradition. Both scripture and tradition are pointing towards your encounter and your experience. And that's what we want to live into. So we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about personality, numbers, and a little bit of style. We'll talk about the show that I miss most in this world, <laughs> The Colbert Report. We're going to talk about the body, and then we're going to meet lots of interesting people today. So as a pastor over the last 10 years, particularly as a pastor who used to visit all of the megachurches, uh, when we would go to these conferences and we would meet with the other, you know, muckety-mucks, we would talk about things. But these are the conversations that would always come up. The first conversations, and you two have probably experienced it. Well, how many butts do you have on seats on Sunday, my friend? Right? Oh, and who is the pastor of your thing? And what kind of music do you do? Almost without fail, then and now, these are the first questions that people ask me when they find out that I'm a pastor. That tells me nothing about your church. Where did we decide that those were the best questions to be asking about what God is doing? That's crazy to me. We just sold out on some weird reality of, you could have 10 people or 10 million people, it tells me nothing about people experiencing and encountering God in their real lives. And so as we began the church, I just started to ask myself, well, what are the questions that we wanna ask? And our mission statement has always been this. 
a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2018. This is something that I believe that we do well. I believe that we tell the biggest story of God that we can possibly tell and that we are not afraid to ask questions. As happened in these last few weeks, as you asked questions, we're not scared to say, how do we make sense of that? In a place like Los Angeles in 2018, and we ask those really difficult questions because we don't want you to have to live a compartmentalized life where you kind of do some church stuff over here, you have a weird subset of language over here, and then there's the rest of your life. Because like most of the people in Los Angeles, 82% to be in fact, they don't go to church anymore because they don't wanna keep dividing up their lives like that. And I don't think any of us should either, and yet you're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning, and that blows my mind sometimes. Right? So if God does not work with Neanderthals and subatomic particles and supernovas and Tesla and Google, then that God does not work. Because it's not that this God did not know about these realities, it's that we didn't know about these realities. So we have to tell a story big enough because we're never gonna outpace God, people. You don't have to be scared of that. When people are like, well, the slippery slope, it's gonna be okay. God, God is not like, they're going too fast, slow down. They're using drums in sh worship now. No, that's like weird. Why did we ever get weirded out about that? God knew drums were coming. He's like, drums, all right. You good angels, you good Jesus, all right, let's do this, right? Yeah, no, like that's, that's just weird. You shouldn't worry about that and neither is God. God can handle the complexity and the diversity and the magnitude of this universe, and so should we. But here's what I really care about that, and it's the litmus test that comes down to us now. As you experience this bigger reality of God, is it leading to healing in your life? Because I think sin is a reality of simply hurt people hurt people. And when we experience hurt, we're good at hurting ourselves, and we're good at hurting other human beings around us. And I believe that God, through Christ, provides transformation and healing and maturity for our lives so that we're not hurt people who hurt people anymore, but we are transformed people who transform people. And so if you've been in this space, every week I have the luxury and the privilege of grabbing coffees and beers with people in this room who are finding healing. And as you find healing in your lives, I believe that you bring healing to other people here. And as you find healing, I experience transformation in you. That something new is going on. And like Paul getting into a debate with Peter and the other early church fathers, he would say things like, let's stop debating all these random details about like who's eating what food and these moral codes over here and this stuff's just not interesting. Simply say this, are you a new creation? And if you believe that you're a new creation, then you're a new creation. That's how it works. It's simple as that. It's learning to trust yourself in the spirit of God that's already in you. And when you can find that healing and you can live into that transformation, I believe that we are more mature and healthy human beings. And so with that said, uh, I wanna tell a little bit about the body. That was my next one, right? Body, is that what it says on there? Great, we're gonna read a passage from 1 Corinthians 12. It goes like this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. This is kind of like an abbreviated version of what we say every morning when we start, right? We're all these different things. We all have, we, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? 
Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? If everybody were straight white males, what would that look like? If everybody was uh, African-American women, what would that look like? If everybody was gay, what would that mean? If everyone was straight, what would that be? If everyone was rich, you get the point. We're different. And the Bible celebrates that reality. Praise God. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. And so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So, we're going to hear a little bit about the parts of the body today. But first, let me tell you a story about my son Bryce. My son Bryce, for like two months, kept saying, stinker bear, stinker bear. And I'm like, what is he saying? And he would keep shouting, stinker bear, stinker bear. And then one day, I was watching something at breakfast, and he goes, stinker bear, Stephen Colbert? <laughs> it made my heart so happy <laughs> that he was already experiencing Christ in that way. Right? <laughs> this deep and beautiful truth. And so on the old Colbert Report, one of the things I loved is Stephen Colbert would do this part where he would say, it's a one in 436 part series of meet your local representative. And I loved it because you just got to know these US representatives. And he would mock them and play with them and ask them you know, crazy questions. But I remember watching that. I'm like, we're going to start doing that at New Abbey. And that's how we got meeting an interesting person. It was just simply this reality of, yeah, we should know all of the parts, right? We should know all of the parts, even if it's not our own narrative. And over the years, as we've done Meet an Interesting Person, what we found is simply this, is that maybe not every narrative is for you, but over time, eventually, you connect with that one story. And you say, ah, me too. I'm not the only one here. They've dealt with that as well. They've been transformed by that too? Now we're talking. And so I've worked really, really hard since we started this church of trying to de-authoritize the person who stands on stage. Not because I don't believe in my part of the body. Not because I don't honor the time that you all afford me to have to be a pastor of this community. But because I believe this. Just because I went to seminary and just because I get paid to do this thing and just because I'm the one who gets to speak more often on stage does not mean that I have more authority than you. That your part in your narrative is incredibly important. And any place that's trying to get you to give more power to the person on stage instead of the person on stage empowering you is not a healthy place. And I'm happy to preach that from any mountaintop. And so we want to be a place where our narratives empower one another and where the entire body is lifted up. So with all of those things said, let's tell some stories this morning. And first up is Candace Zubernat, everybody, if you'd give her a hand. My, uh, my setup for Candace is that she too is married to a woman, as I am. And, uh, there you go. Fans of wives out there, I like it, I like it. And so we had to go to Costco one time together, just us, and I could tell she was so uncomfortable because everybody thought we were a spouse. I'm like, 
I'm gonna play this up as much as possible. Cause she like wants to be like, no, I love a woman, I love a woman, I'm not with him. Like her whole body was telling that. And then we were, at, we were at Starbucks one day with like all 18 of our children, right? And people were like, how do you guys do it? I'm like, I know, right? It's hard, but we do it. Yeah, she's just, did you want to get a picture? Go ahead, Crystal, smile, she's. To your wife, yes, who actually carries your children, so that's good. I seriously, I yeah. like, anytime you're like, hey, do we need to go somewhere and pick something up? I'm like, yeah. I, I'm gonna stay home. Yeah. yeah. I cannot bear this again. So there you go. So I thought that was a check in your hand. I was like, oh, no. oh perfect. And yeah. 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 That's good. This is not for uh, magnification, oh, okay. it's for recording. So, anyways, Candace oh, Ubernot, everybody. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Yeah. Um, it's weird to hold something that's not for magnification. Yeah, just do it. You'll be good. Um, yeah. So it is super surreal to be doing this because this sharing time was one of the main reasons why I was like, we will not go back to that church. <laughs> um, I remember sitting there and I'm like, what is this BS? And I look over at my wife and she's like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, hell no. This is like, uh, we are not doing this. And then we were singing a song and they used he for God. And I was like, this is proof. This place is horrible. And then like the next line was she. And then I was like, okay, well, fine. Um, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, Crystal, we can go one more time. And then that's pretty much all it took um, to like start to open my heart. Um, I think you don't have to be gay to experience this, but I think being gay makes church even extra hard. Um, all these places that say like, oh, you're so welcome here, and then you go, and it's just not that way. Um, so in my mind, I was doing all these checks, like they require intimacy, but who knows what's gonna happen afterwards if you like intimately share your gay. So anyways, it's weird to be here. Um, <laughs> My wife, Crystal, and I have been together for 13 years. Um, yeah. Uh, you might see our little kids, Deacon and Dylan, they're four. Um, yeah, I think they're pretty good looking kids. So. <laughs> um, but the thing also about being um, over the age of 35 and married in a same gendered relationship is it's kind of like dog years because there's the like, when did you fall in love? And then like, when did you come out? And then when did you get married? And then when was your legal marriage? Um, so it's this really weird thing when someone asks like, how long have you been married? And to say, well, it just so happens that like, we planned our wedding before the whole legal marriage thing happened. And then, but it did go down like two weeks later. So our legal marriage and our spiritual marriage are like the same but then it misses like all this time, you know? Um, so yeah, that's just an interesting part about being a lesbian and being married. Um, the other thing is that like when we fell in love, this, it was amazing. Um, we were 26 and neither of us had ever been with a woman. Um, and so it's not that I didn't like men or making out with a guy here and there. Um, <laughs> that's not a proposition! That's, uh, 
just making sure I wasn't alone in the room when I had yeah. We gotta have a third person when we hang out. Continue um, on. Yeah. But imagine, like, in your adult years, and some of you who are probably gay and Christian get this, but like, in your adult years, all of a sudden, you are like, holding the hand of the gender that you were supposed to always be holding the hand of. Um, it is just like, world blowing, mind blowing. It was amazing for the first time to be in my mid twenties, um, experiencing God through like sex and kissing for the first time. And, um, my world just in one way went huge and God went huge. Um, because everyone had told me that I would be so depressed and convicted by God if I was ever with a woman. And yet the opposite happened. Yeah. Holy Spirit was like, do this thing. Um, but the weird juxtaposition of like, well, God got bigger, like my people world got smaller. Um, and so every conversation of like, hey, how you doing? Was anxiety attack waiting to happen, right? Like, oh my God, um, I'm fine, I gotta go. Um, so like going to parties stopped happening, like hanging out with people stopped happening. Um, our like personal world and world with God and each other was just like this amazing, big, wonderful thing. And then when it came to people, um, it was really different. Went from like having a lot of friends to not having a lot of friends. Um, so it was in that place that I decided, hey, I'm gonna graduate from grad school and become a therapist um, and really help people become authentic in their lives. Um, that was really hard to do while feeling unable to do that. Um, we were terrified. Our friends would reject us. Our families would reject us. Um, Crystal would have lost her job. She was told that. So here I am like a new therapist. My whole life I haven't felt like called to therapy, called to walking with people. And it just was not it. Um, I hated it. Um, and it was really confusing. So I quit being a therapist and was pretty lost for a while. Um, and then I, we finally came out, which was really great. Um, our families did not reject us. In fact, they have loved us and supported us. Um, we lost some friends, which is still painful, but most of our community stuck with us. Um, and then I realized, oh, like the reason why I felt this calling but hated it is because I was missing this huge piece, right? Like. You can't do that work without being connected to yourself. Um, and who do I want to walk with? I want to walk with LGBT Christians um, who have had the similar experience. So it was a total pipe dream. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to get one person. Um, and the other thing is that it felt like it needed to be online, um, knowing that there are people all over the world who are believing you can't be gay and Christian, you can't be trans and Christian, you can't be bi and Christian, all these things. And so um, it's an online format. Um, and it's still, like I still pinch myself all these years later, like holy crap, I cannot believe I have a wife and I have kids and everyone knows I'm a lesbian and I get to walk with people every day, um, like helping them get to see like the bigness of God. Um, because they also have been told that God is small. They've also been told that like, they can't be who they are. Um, and now I have a small team of therapists and a little shout out to 
Brett Barron, our spiritual director. And it's just, it's beautiful. Um, I feel so grateful for like even the pain of all those years of crying out to God, like, why are you silent? Um, I don't know that I'd be able to walk with people in the same way if I hadn't. So, but a part of all of that also is the social piece, right? Like um, when we came out, well, everyone, most people loved us. Um, it wasn't this automatic switch to be like, now you're just gonna be like easy, it's easy to share how you are with people. And um, so I think I still get like social anxiety and it feels related to that to me. Um, this idea of letting myself be seen. But last year, Crystal decides to get um, the biggest pride flag you've ever seen <laughs> and put it on the front of our house. No, like, it's huge. They invited me to their house one day. They're like, uh, just look for the house with the yellow door. And I drive up, I'm like, why didn't you say the 50-foot pride flag? <laughs> it's true. Easy to spot in Sierra Madre. Yeah. Literally. I was going to say that you stole my joke. No. But, okay. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's true. I feel embarrassed being like, it's the house with the big pride flag. So I'm like, it's, we have a yellow door. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, oh my gosh, honey, everyone's going to see us. Everyone's going to know this thing about us, you know? And she was like, isn't this your world? Like, aren't you sort of the professional? Isn't this what you do every day? I'm like, yeah, but okay. So we have it out there. And then um, we take it on and off between that and our Cubs flag. Um, yeah, go Cubbies. Um, and then, so that was last year. And then this year, I heard some stories of violence um, towards LGBT people. And I just, most stories I hear in my practice, like I can hold and I can process. And the, like these few stories, I just couldn't. Um, like I was filled with so much fear. I suddenly was like, imagining people knowing where our kids' bedroom is and climbing in the window and hurting them and hurting us. And um, like, I just couldn't bear that. Um, so I was like, honey, we have to take the flag down. Like, I feel ashamed. Yes, this is like my entire career is to not feel ashamed. And yet I feel shame and fear. Um, so we took the flag down and, you know, I did my own work of trying to process that. And then I'm outside in the, our front yard and this young kid who's can't be older than like 16 comes by and he's like, hey, where's your flag? Where's your pride flag? Um, and I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> we took it down. But uh, like, and I just didn't, didn't know what to say to this young person standing there. Like I didn't want to be like, oh, I got scared. And he said, or they said, um, I want to let you know like how much your flag has meant to me because I live with non-affirming parents and like I still have to live there. And so every time I come by your house, it like gives me hope. I was like, oh wow, like, <laughs> right? It gets even more like teary. You get, um, so of course I went inside. I was like, hey, I'm gonna put it up. Like, so next time you come by, <laughs> it'll be here. And in that moment, I was like, okay, so I don't want anyone to hurt us, but like that kid, I have to put our flag back up. Um, so I did, and it felt different. Like I felt, it wasn't so much pride anymore. It felt tender. It felt like soft somehow. 
Um, so then I'm like, okay, I'm trying to let myself be seen, trying to let myself be known. So I'm going to put this story on social media. Um, also because people shouldn't feel shame about their fear. And these two other straight families with young kids, like we barely know them, bought their own pride flags and put them on the front of their house. Um, which I, I was just like, oh my God, yeah, like talk about tears and shaking inside of like gratefulness. Um, that like people that we don't know would stand with us and would possibly lose with us. And I think that that's one thing that has felt so good about this church. Like I understand why all you gay people come here. Like <laughs> there's four churches available, maybe two. There's not a lot, right? So like, Doy, you're gonna come. Um, but like for straight people who are like, I'm gonna choose to come here and like maybe lose out going somewhere else because I wanna be with you, I wanna be in community with you, I wanna stand with you. Um, like it's not lost on me. I can't imagine it's lost on anyone else who's queer. Um, like to me, that's what like community and being an ally is about. Like I wanna lose with you and gain with you and I hope that you'll do the same, so yeah. Our families were all in Palm Springs uh, one day together, and so we were gonna get a group shot of all of us, but I realized like, it's like me and like these three wives. <laughs> so then, and like our 22 kids, so of course we took a picture of it, and then Chris was like, oh, this is like big love, so I couldn't wait to post about that. I was like, yeah. look at all that I have. I wanna welcome up Matthew and two. Come on. Yeah. Oh, you're like, no, no, give him the, give him the microphone. I'm gonna... Yeah, you can stand, sit. You want to sit too? I can stand. Does this feel good for you? Do you want to sit here? Sure. Yeah, that's great. I want you to be comfortable. I do, I do this thing a lot. Yeah. So. Um, it's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. You should feel good. So we were doing a King's Row after Sunday thing that we do at New Abbey sometime to meet new people, and we were chatting. Uh, and you had a line that really like stuck with me. There's, there's these moments when you start something, including a church, where you're like, man, I hope this thing works, right? Uh, and then people will say things to you and you're like, ah, I'm gonna keep doing this thing. Uh, and so there you go, that's your setup for you guys. Thank you. Great, yeah. Um, you gotta hold it up. Microphone yeah, that's perfect work. because I've got notes here. Perfect. And the first one is the thing that I said to him that yeah. invited us up here. And I said, we went from making excuses not to go to church to being sad if we had to miss church. And that was this church that we were sad when we have to miss. Um, so I'm just going to talk a little bit about our experience with church. We both grew up in like oppressive, super conservative. Southern Baptist. <laughs> Dutch, Dutch reformed for me. So shout out to Tulip. <laughs> um, and like I always say, if you don't know what Tulip is, praise God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had, ex you know, experienced like sort of oppressive mindsets and teaching and all that type of stuff growing up. But then after we had, you know, met, dated and got married, we also experienced the same thing in the quote progressive churches that we had been to, whether it was like a Hillsong style thing or like a charismatic uh, like like Bethel, Jesus culture style church. And it was the same type of thing, just a completely different bubble. It was still a bubble and it was still this type of thing. And so the church 
we moved to LA and, and we had been going to the same church for three years. And um, when we first started going, it was great because it was like all about deconstructing the bubble and like finding out who you're truly called to be in the eyes of God and all this type of stuff. And then over the course of the three years, it did like a complete 180 where now it's like, if you're not in one of these three select bubbles that they have chosen for the congregation, then you can't relate to anybody. And it was really just like, it was a completely different place. Um, and there's all kinds of, you know, small things that would go on and happen as we got more involved in the church that were just symptoms of something bigger. And eventually we stopped going. And that's when we were looking for excuses not to go. It's like, you know, kind of, kind of tired from Saturday night. We did stay up a little later. So, <laughs> and, and maybe we won't go. The side note is when we first moved to California, we, we were in Orange County for about set, how long? Seven, nine months. nine months. During those nine months, we would drive from Fountain Valley all the way up to the church in Glendale for that whole time because that was our home and we loved it so much. And then we went from, you know, we literally live five minute, like you could walk to church from where we live, but we're not, like, how can we not go? How can we convince ourselves to not go? Yeah. So I think the church stopped being safe and stopped being God. Um, and I was sharing with my group where it was just, as we grew with God, as especially for me, I discovered that God is so much safer, so much bigger than we expected. Cause I was always so scared of God. I grew up Southern Baptist. I was like, Oh God, please don't strike me down. And, um, I went to a retreat and somebody was praying over me and they gave me a verse from revelation that I'm lukewarm and God's about to spit me out. And I was mortified for years. I was so scared that that he was gonna that he hates me so much and i keep trying to figure out what did i do that he would hate so much so i would go through all my sins i would go through point by point by point trying to figure out if i if i confess my sin will he love me now will he will he cap stop thinking that i'm lukewarm and i couldn't figure out for years and I, and I never questioned it because I was like, you know, I trusted this pastor. I trusted these people. And it got to the point where I was just really depressed and really scared of God. And I didn't enjoy God anymore. And, but as I start to discover, I keep listening to Graham Cook. I don't know if you guys, and he's just like, he always says, no matter what happens, God's response to you is just, it's okay. And I was like, this is how I picture a parent would be. Like, no matter how bad things, it's like, they're like, it's okay, sweetie, you're fine. And I started like changing my thoughts about who God really is and the narrative that I have learned and taken on. And then it wasn't until I came to New Abbey that I realized why we had stopped going to church and why we made up excuses was that my internal experience of who God is no longer matches what I experienced on a Sunday morning. And I had to leave because I'm like, this is not God anymore. I don't know who you guys confess on a Sunday, but God is way more loving, way more kind. And I don't want to be with your God because your God is not that fun. 
Um, <laughs> your God is horrifying and scary. And because it's just, because I can't imagine God looking at anybody and saying, you're an abomination, you're this, you're that for anything. I just can't picture it and I don't want him. And here I find the God that I experience internally, the God who's like, I love you. I don't care you what you have done. I love you. And it's like, it's like the mom who is still, who still can love a child who has murdered somebody, who is still pleading to the judge. That's my boy. You know, and to me, I'm like, that's what Jesus would do. I mean, that's the point of the gospel is that it's always about relationship more than anything else. And so this is what New Abbey has done for us is that affirming who God is in, internally for us, it's that he is so much bigger and so much greater and kind, very kind. Yeah. It was like during that time when she would say, we would talk about it and she would be like, I realize I'm not mad at God, I'm mad at the church. She's like, God and I are great. <laughs> it's this church that I have some problems with and, and I'm, I'm done with. Um, but then after we had stopped going for a while, um, a friend of ours who from our, from our previous church, she had been coming here and told us about New Abbey and we heard how just loving the church was to the LGBT community. And for us, that was kind of like our litmus test of whether or not we wanted to hear anything a church had to say about anybody or anything in the world. And it's like, oh, like maybe we'll go check it out and it sounds cool. So it was like, we came and it was just, we, we after the first Sunday we were here a few months ago, it was like, we just said, dude, this is like, feels like home again. And um, it was it was really because I think like here, this church values the journey and honors the journey. It doesn't try to write a prescription for anyone's journey. It doesn't matter where you are on that journey. It's, it's important that you're on that journey and the story you have is important. So that was like the thing that really attracted us here. Yeah. Matthew and two, everybody. I think something that's been important for me and important for Brittany as we've had this conversation about our community is we're not the savior or the end-all be-all of anything. We always just say like we are like a little Schwinn bicycle like riding around in the kingdom. You know, it's not about brands for us or pretending this place has some magical secret. Um, I just hope that everyone who needs a new Abbey finds out about New Abbey or the new Abbeys of the world. Like I just trust God in these processes um, that whoever needs to find healing from a space like this will find healing from a space like this so that you can participate in the transformation that God has for you. And I believe up next is Trevor, come on up. Yeah. I'm Trevor. Yeah. Do you want like a setup? Do you want I, I like mean, a... you've given one to the past two. Okay. Should I just go? <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's been a big couple, couple years for you. Year, uh, yeah. It's about a year now. It's about a year now. Yeah, yeah. I still remember when when you and Gin kind of walked in the doors and began sharing your narrative in the process, the journey that you've both been on, um, and the gift that is to be able to hear people's narratives and how unique each of them are. So, your narrative. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so. 
My story uh, is coming from evangelical culture. And uh, so I grew up in a typical Christian home in the suburbs of San Diego. And then, yes, San Diego. All right, 858. Um, And then got to college and knew, like, I want to join some sort of fellowship because that's what you're supposed to do as the Christian kid going to college, because college is where debauchery happens. So you like make that safety net. Um, And so I got to crew at UCLA um, and met a bunch of people that were like super passionate about God. And then I got super um, excited about this community, but like low key insecure that I like kind of went to church just casually growing up. And so I didn't really know too much. First time I read my Bible that I owned and it wasn't on a Sunday and I wasn't being told which verse to read was like in college. I was like, oh, people do this. All right, cool. This is like one way to gain status in my community. Um, Cause like really, if you can maintain a daily quiet time, like you were like top tier of Christian community in college. Um, and so I got 24 minutes today. (laughs) (laughs) So I got super into that Um, and went on some missions trips with crew to uh, go share the four points of the KGP, um, knowing God personally booklet. If you guys have seen those, I can, we can do that real good. Um, I would probably be somehow triggered by that, but I knew it backwards and forwards. Um, and so, yeah, got like, just dove super into, uh, like Calvinism and Tulip all the way and like started memorizing, like at one point I had like three or four books memorized, like of the Bible. Cause I was just like, let's just go. Um, because I was also at the same time, super insecure, um, that like I showed up and all these other people in my community knew stuff about God. And I was like, I don't know anything. So that will never happen again. Um, And then also I uh, started facing doubts quietly to myself. Um, And so with each new doubt, I took on another letter of Tulip kind of, um, because that was just a very black and white theology of like, God does this, God does not do this. And so if I can, make everything predictable in the world, then doubt might go away. Um, So like quotes from Carl Sagan, uh, like that I heard my freshman year, like haunted me. He's like a famous atheist guy. Um, And one of the guys that I was uh, pseudo discipling in the ministry, I was a junior, he was a freshman and he, uh, it was like, he was starting to go on the same journey that I was of like, let's, jump into ministry, but also like, what is all this God stuff? Let's like figure it out. And there's this uh, thought that he had for me. He's like, so I don't get it. Whenever I do something horrible, it's me. But whenever I do something good, it's God moving through me. That's, that's not fair. And I was like, your theology is spot on. And I've never heard someone say it like that before. And he's like, right? I was like, I mean, but that, that sounds right. And we were both like, wait a minute. <laughs> I like super don't want that. But also, 
if I ignore it and just go back to the theory, that is 100% correct. So let's just like toss that away and just jump back to this John Piper sermon. Um, and so, but like things like that John of just Piper like, fans here. All yeah. Right. Um, so things like those quotes or this quote from this guy that I was discipling, you just kind of like they latch on and you just ignore them, but then they just kind of haunt you forever. Um, or like when I was 10 and like everyone who grew up Christian has that moment when they realize like, so what about people that never hear about the Bible and then die? Like it takes like a 10 year old to kind of just take that to the end of its logical conclusion. You're like, that doesn't feel fair. And then it's basically get the 10 year old to stop asking the question until they realize that that's a question we're supposed to ignore. And then they start telling people younger than them, like, we'll figure it out later. And then eventually they realize, like, oh, cool, just never answer it. Um, or jump into Calvinism and it's about God's justice. Um, so those things were kind of haunting me uh, personally and like personal doubt. But then also, um, like, I got to really know the Bible and uh, I feel like I really got to. Um, lean on the like relational loving aspects of Jesus's life and was super, super frustrated eventually with the evangelical church. And was like, we are focusing on the wrong things. This is horrible. Like this is like, seriously, like we're gonna try and jump on this like vitriol of like pro-life, pro-choice and just destroy each other over this one single issue and not like, be the homeless? Like, what's going on? Like, it, it just seemed like priorities were just super not right. And um, at the time, my best friend, Gen, and I would come home from church every week and just be super frustrated with like, I mean, like the sermon listed all the catchphrases, but like, man, it just did not engage reality at all. And so we were just like super frustrated with evangelical culture and just like, it was just tone deaf and kind of out of touch with like, no, there's real people that are really hurting. Um, what do we do about this? And so I kind of felt like a woke evangelical, like, yeah, like we're, I'm the one that focuses on the red letters, like, and I'm gonna stop caring as much about like these doctrines. Um, and so, but at the same time, um, I kind of was rubbing up against, uh, stories that were challenging me in the same ways that those like doubts were kind of haunting me. Um, and so non-affirming theology was like, that seems to fit from what I read the, about the Bible. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem to like, like it, I, I understand how like we can connect dots A, B, C, D, E, F. Um, it just doesn't seem fair. Like I don't get the point. Like where's the fruit? Like it seems like, don't kill people, like, cool, fruit, people are alive. We're happy about that. Um, and I was just like, where the heck is the fruit of this whole, like, being gay is not okay thing? Um, and uh, that started happening with a bunch of other things. And then um, now I've joined staff with crew. I've graduated college, and I was like, I'm going to go be a missionary because I like this thing. Um, and was just kind of, we'll figure out all these other tensions on the way. Um, 
and there was an investigation um, that crew started uh, looking into my friendship with Gen, and it was another story for another time, um, but it was just kind of concerning morality and purity. Um, and Gen and I eventually got fired from crew because our relationship looked too gay. Um, and at that point, both of us were still very much non-affirming um, theology-wise. We're like, we're on the same team. Like, why are you doing this to me? And that's also not even what this relationship was. Like, it was still, in both of our eyes, very much a best friendship. He was dating someone that was like, he was thinking about marrying, like a girl. And I was like, yeah, go get it, dude. Like, and then I'll find my wife and we'll go change the world together and it'll be great. Um, both of our wives just have to be okay with us hanging out a lot um, because we do. But I was like, still, like totally, totally like best friend hang out a lot. But like we were just super compatible. Um, and so I was like, that's not even what this is. And then realized like, if that was what this is, you like this was still 100% spiritual abuse. Like even if this was that kind of relationship and we were starting to like date, um, it was absolutely spiritual abuse and was extremely traumatic. And so all of a sudden I saw like the claws and the teeth of the evangelical church. Um, and I was someone who uh, the evangelical church was like built for like the privileged, middle upper class straight white guy. I was like, cool, this is gonna feed like thumbs ups to me until I die. I'm gonna join staff with this missions organization and just be here for life. Um, and then all of a sudden um, I got a little too close to a hot button issue and just got destroyed. Um, it was like, this is not fun. And it kind of gave me permission to look into all those things that had been haunting me. Um, like stories that rubbed up against my doctrine of like, these people seem to be good, but my theology says that they're depraved and I don't understand that. Um, or this person just came out and seems to be healthier than ever, but my theology says that I should be mourning. Um, or like, are we making this whole thing up? Like, I don't know, like on dark days, I just go like, shit, like, did we make everything up because we're too scared to die and not be completely certain that I'm going to live in heaven forever? And so all of a sudden I was... Death fans. <laughs> <laughs> I was in this headspace where I was like questioning things and like I was kind of okay with that. I was just like, I got fired. I'm unemployed. Let's just question all of it. Um, and then found New Abbey... Um, and it, like, I, I know that like New Abbey is not the end all be all answer to churches and everything. Their style is one of many, but I was, I got here and, uh, when Gen and I left, we sat down in the car, almost like we had just watched like, like a groundbreaking movie of just like, I'm speechless. Like, and I, we both said to each other, like, this was a life-changing Sunday, and I'm 100% certain about that. Like, whoa, that changed my life. It was like, no, 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 no. This was a life-changing Sunday. Like, things pivoted today. Um, 
And at that point, we weren't even dating. Um, <laughs> um, spoiler alert. Spoiler. <laughs> different story for a different day. In case, um, no, in case nobody saw it coming. But yeah, so um, New Abbey was just this place where I could be questioning all these things and then like sing a worship song um, because I enjoy singing worship songs because that's kind of the culture that I grew up in and I, I like that. Um, and so I'm comfortable to like have an existential crisis of just like, does God exist? Who knows? Let's sing about it, you know, and sing like a song that like Hillsong wrote and like not be terrified. Like, oh my God, I'm a fraud or like, oh my God, like I'm going to go to hell or oh, like, and so to kind of have contradictory truths and just kind of like nuzzle up in between both of them and be like, cool, they're both in there and I don't need to like force them into a box that fits. Um, and so that was wonderful. And then also these stories all of a sudden just like clicked and we got to like talk about like the other 98% of Jesus's life when he wasn't dying and resurrecting and be like, Jesus was so woke, this is amazing. <laughs> and like, it wasn't all of a sudden, every sermon had to tie into how we're sinful, Jesus paid for it, and now we get to go to heaven. But it was just like, this sermon is about like Exodus and oppression of marginalized groups. And it's gonna speak to only that and not tie it into the cross. And it was like, this was so helpful to see someone not force every single story in the Bible into this mold. Um, and so we got to actually let these stories instead of like rub up against like, oh, that doesn't fit. My theology says you're depraved. Just like, oh no, you're beautiful. And that's totally okay. And I don't need to force you to change your beliefs. I can just like learn who you are and love you. And so that, like those two tensions that haunted me forever um, have been dissolving and it's been wonderful. So thank you for New Abbey. My hope for this community always is that we can handle and hold all of the deconstruction as you question, as you wonder, dare say, as you doubt, and that you can handle all of the reconstruction because you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can have Jesus and God and ask questions and God's okay with it. Uh, and we can hold both because the hardest job you're ever gonna have is to be human. Uh, so I just want to thank everyone who shared this morning. We have a diversity of a lot of other stories that we want to share in, in different spaces. We just wanted to highlight a few of them. Uh, I want you to get back in the same groups and we're going to ask these questions together. Where do you want to find healing, transformation, and or majority the rest of this year? We're just going to take a few minutes to do that and we're going to get back together.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.